Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, the podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. So today I'm with Dr. Ollie Fillayan and Nikkei Fillayan, who are actually siblings, uh, a couple of really good people that I've come into contact with recently by way of introduction from Louise Power, uh, who you may or may not have heard of. Louise does a, a hell of a lot of work within the sort of um, diversity, inclusion and equality space. She's got her own podcast and a number of businesses. Louise kindly introduced me to Ollie a few months ago, and I was keen to find out about all the fantastic work that, that both him and uh, Nikkei are, are doing with the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers, which was an organisation I was unfamiliar with until quite recently. What I'd like to do is, is to ask Ollie and, and Nikkei to just give us a quick overview as to how the, the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers came about and what your sort of main challenges and uh, what's on the agenda for, for this year, really. So, Nikkei, I'd, I'd normally go ladies first if you, if you want to introduce. Hi, um, so I'm Nikkei, I'm an engineer and I'm an engineer by day and a, an engineer by night as well. <laughs> but I also uh, chair AFBE, which is the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers. Uh, our ambition is to have representation within the engineering space at the same level as the population. Uh, so at the moment, 9% uh, of UK's population are from ethnic minority backgrounds or global majority as some would call it, um, but yep. we're only um, we're only um, nine percent in the industry. I mean, we're fourteen percent in the population, and, but we're only nine percent in the industry. Now that may not seem so bad until you look at the number of engineering students um, that are considering careers in engineering. Um, yep. You know, that study a university, and that's at thirty percent. So what our objectives are is to engage people one from all backgrounds from a young age to consider engineering but also focus on the people from ethnic minority backgrounds that enter the industry and help them to achieve uh, as as best as they can and as best as as anybody else uh, without the barriers around um discrimination without the barriers around social mobility that a lot of people from these backgrounds have DE and I is, is such a huge topic at the moment, and and as you've said that that stat is is quite alarming. You know, I remember having a, a chat with Ollie, uh, you know, a, a couple of months or so ago, and uh, I, I was just astonished to to learn that you know a huge proportion of the BME grads coming out of uni are struggling to to get into into industry. Now, given we've got a huge skills gap in the in the in the uk it just beggars belief how though those two things aren't just being joined up and we're not making use of talent that we've got in this country uh, already you know it's just ludicrous so we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail as, as we go along i'm sure over to you then ollie how did the association come about in the first place was, was it your idea was it was it nikkei's and and how do your sort of roles differ then because uh, i know you're at opposite ends of the country as well aren't you yeah, yeah, that's that's what we have to stay to to get along. We have to be as far away from each other as possible. Now, um, well, I it, it came about because um, we both had interesting journeys into the industry. So mm. I had uh, uh, started my um, uh, career and been working for some years and experienced um, uh, some positive experiences, but also uh, some challenging ones. And you know, some of those challenging experiences 
are not something that happened at a particular time. They're a regular everyday experience. But I suppose coming into an industry, it was my first uh, experience of that kind of brand of yeah. uh, culture, uh, of, of work culture. And, and so um, at that time, it had a, a major impact. And it wasn't just the general sort of microaggressions that people often speak about. It was actually, in my case, it was directly working with somebody who was very hostile. And yeah. it was that, uh, the impact that, that they went on to have in terms of health in general, and the impact uh, that that was having just in my bias, uh, motivation, background to me. We all have in these experiences that is not racism, but it's very common and we all recognize it. Yeah. And, and so that's uh, to tell us that there is something that we needed to look on there. Uh, it was even more instructive that when I then thought within my organization, can I find people with a little bit more experience? Those people were nowhere to be found. They weren't, they weren't there. And, um, you know, uh, we both had that experience where uh, we were both uh, engaged. So I would say that in terms of uh, the idea has kind of occurred to us uh, perhaps at different times, but it was one of those things that uh, was meant to be, I think, uh, in, in the sense that when we had the discussion, it was something that resonated, yeah. uh, resonated with both of us. And we went out and spoke to a number of our colleagues and five members started the very first uh, AFBE. Uh, we now have around 2,500 members, so we've been on quite wow. a journey, yeah. and uh, that journey has been a very interesting one, but it's always felt as though we were growing into the vision, because at that very early stage, we spoke about quite a number of things uh, that we have seen unfold in the last 15 years. Yeah. Wow, what a what a journey! And um, I, I guess you know there, there's a you know with this this big movement to you know eradicate racism and, and get you know more inclusion and diversity in the workplace. I mean, yeah, we need it in society. We we absolutely need it in the workplace too. I, I suppose you know this this is almost like a a snowball that's just rolling and getting bigger and bigger, which is great from from a from a membership point of view. But it, it's also the it's also the awareness, I think. And, you know, I, I was at an event in, in Birmingham a few weeks ago, um, the Allied Women in Engineering events that was put on by uh, Beth and Jepson. And so that was focusing, you know, specifically around, you know, females in, in industry. Um, and one of the things that, that sort of struck me was, I mean, I was probably one of three, maybe four men at the event. And I think part of the problem, you know, this this could be attributed as well to the, uh, you know, the sort of black and ethnic minority demograph as well. And the things you're doing at the association, I think more people like me, white men, need to support these things, because otherwise I don't think other people like me are going to probably bat an eyelid to it. it. You know, there aren't, it's okay women turning up and supporting a women in engineering event, but that's not really the full solution to the problem is it you know and yeah. it's the same with this you know i i'm a white man we're talking about um you know black and minority ethnic en engineers um engineering and manufacturing is the space that i operate in my brother's half jamaican so i you know i, I come from a, a you know a mixed race um family so this, this is not new or alien to me you know mm. he's my brother and that, that's the end of it and it's never never even been a conversation you know it's just yeah. it's just the norm um but i think until 
with all of these things, and I suppose you can you could also bring in things like disabilities and yeah. um, you know gender and all, all, all these sort of um, minority groups for what, whatever mm. the reason, whatever people's backgrounds. Unless you are encouraging more of the of the majority, and obviously anything right. you're in the manufacturing is typically male oriented. Um, but yeah, we, we, we need, I think we need a little bit more diversity in the people that are coming along to these sort of things. So, you know, I'm, I'm certainly doing my bit to try and encourage more, more white men to, to support and at least be aware of these sort of things until that happens. Um, you're almost, you're not going to be in a silo because it's out there in the media and it's, it's growing, but I do think there's an awful lot that, that can be done. Um, you know, with, with other people just getting involved, you know, and this isn't an area of my speciality, but it's something that it, it's important, you know. So yeah, yeah, let's let's have the discussion. Mm. Um, so clearly, you know, there are barriers to to getting, uh, you know, a much higher number of, of BME engineering graduates into engineering jobs. Uh, Nick A kindly uh, spoke about the percentages earlier. So what actually are the roadblocks and and you know what needs to be done to to get more traction um i think there are a number of there are a number of challenges um the first challenge is around the networks so if you are not part of a network um from an uh, early on in your in your career yeah. uh, you don't have the opportunities that other people have so i work in a, a big organization and many of the placement students come from backgrounds where their family is already involved in the industry they come they get a year's placement uh, some of them also even when they get a year's placement they don't care whether it's paid or unpaid because they can afford to for it not to be paid um, there are also issues around um um, the fact that a lot of people from ethnic minority backgrounds end up in the non-Russell group universities. Uh, our profession is quite snobbish, um, so they will focus on the Russell group universities. And even when you, you know, statistics, the Royal Academy did a survey that showed that regardless of these, whether they go to Russell group universities, whether they have a first class degree, the challenge of getting a job is still there. So we do have to recognise that there is an issue around bias and, and discrimination um, there as well. And uh, one of the things that we try to do at AFBE is that we try to prepare people to face these uh, barriers. And uh, I don't know if Ollie, you wanted to chime in on transition and the stuff that we do in that space. That's right. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we found is uh, quite early, uh, as Nick has said, regardless of where people go, there are barriers that people face. And I think you and I had the conversation some weeks ago, uh, Jeff, mm -hmm. where we were talking about some of those issues. So what we decided to do, and you know, that, that there is a crucial stage between the time a person completes the degree and the time they try to get a job. And, yeah. you know, there are sufficient experiments have been done out there that shows that it does matter what your name sounds like when you apply for a job. There were even comparisons done. Professor Bina Candola has talked about some uh, experiments that have been done where it was a case of a person with an ethnic sounding name plus eight years industry experience versus somebody with a white sounding name with no experience. Yeah. And they pretty much had similar callback rates and responses when it came to applying for a job. So what we try to do, as Nika said, is, is uh, accept that those barriers are there and see how do we work through it. And one of the ways of doing that is trying to simulate the recruitment process, getting them in the room 
before they actually get in the room. Yeah. So 10 years ago, we created a program called Transition, which all it uh, just does, tries to simulate as real as possible what the recruitment experience will be like. It involves things like listening to experienced engineers and successful people talk about their progress and how they've made it into uh, the engineering profession, how they've made it to the position that they're in. Uh, we have mock interviews. Uh, we have uh, mock uh, case studies. We assess them throughout. It feels as though they are actually in an interview. And what's happened over time is that we've seen that it's a simple format, but it actually works. We, are, we have seen people who had never been in an assessment center before perform so well when they're faced with the real thing that other people ask, have you been in one of these before? It says, no, I haven't. Of course, they've been in this pretend scenario uh, yeah. multiple times. Uh, and that gave them that just that bit of extra confidence uh, to apply for uh, for a job. That what often follows that is the is the mentor mentee process. So I met people. I remember somebody uh, who I met about seven years ago, and he was someone with a couple of master's degrees, clearly a very clever guy, who had been looking for work and. I had been trying to get him to come to transition and he says, are they going to give me a job? That was his, his general uh, 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 attitude at the time. But I said, just come along anyway, you never know. He came along to an uh, event in 2018, right? So I thought I met him in 2015. He came to one in 2018, uh, came along to one of the events. He uh, got in touch with somebody who became like a mentor to him. So that was February 2018. By May 2018, he was in work and he, he, he was given a reference by the person he met at this uh, event who felt they knew on the basis of what he had done, they felt confident enough to give him a reference. Uh, right. And and yeah, within a short time, uh, he was able to get a job. And there are so many uh, stories like that that we could share. And in a way, our main message uh, to uh, people is has often been twofold. Yes, we do not infantilize people by pretending the barriers are not there. We talk about the barriers and we ensure that what we talk about is based on actual research work, uh, peer-reviewed peer work and, you know, verifiable facts, not opinion. Yeah. But at the same time, we are able to demonstrate through the success stories that we've had and, you know, through ourselves as role models that these problems are not insurmountable. That's a, that's a good point you make there as well about the, um, you know, the verification and the fact that you're using actual uh real data as opposed yeah. to just a, a opinion or hearsay everybody's got an opinion on these things but uh, it's important <laughs> that everybody involved um you know that down to people like me you know tagging along to these sort of conversations are aware of the facts and make decisions based on facts and, and try and adopt our behaviors through yeah. reading facts you know it's just That's so right. important <laughs> So as I understand it, then you you influence governmental policies in, in relation to BME engineers and, and ethnic minority community groups in the UK. So how's that facilitated? You know, what, what wins are you able to, to share with me today? We, we have a we have a long history with um, um, being attractive even before, uh, as I always say, even before diversity became sexy. We have uh, a long history with um, liaising with people within governmental organisations. So, for example, we have Chionwara, who's the only chartered engineer in Parliament as one of our members of the advisory board. And, and, and so we've 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 had a long history with um 
providing our insight. And there are also the all party parliamentary groups, which we've been involved in. Uh, but more importantly, more recently, we've had government <laughs> departments coming to us um, to ask for advice on on various issues and various matters, and it's not just uh, not just the UK government, the Scottish government uh, as well. Uh, on many occasions, have asked us for advice on different things, not just on diversity, but on things yeah. on the energy transition, on things on on skill shortage, and so on and so forth. And so our um, our aim is really to give them an insight into what it you know what that entails not just from a diversity lens but from a technical lens because we have a lot of people with years and years of technical expertise within yeah. these sectors and and that's part of what we want to demonstrate so one of our missions for example is to display the talent and this is our avenue of displaying our talent uh so for example i know that ollie did something for cop 26 yeah. uh and uh, you know we have people you know some people will only listen to you when you have that technical expertise and that's what we try to our board members including ourselves that's what we try to demonstrate that you can be an excellent engineer and you can still think diversity and inclusion is super important yeah. so yeah so 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 we've been able to kind of make that link between government and and what we're doing in a way that ensures that they, that's a consideration uh so for example when the strategy came out the um UK innovation strategy came out a few years ago. One of the things that we 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 identified was the fact that there was no link between the uh, you know there was there's a lot of talk around innovation, but no link about on on diversity. And and we raised that as a as an important point to consider. So so so, so things like that. Uh, uh, we've also been to uh, number ten down in the street to talk about these issues and and to raise awareness on how the community can be uh, you can engage the community in a way that is effective rather than just box ticking so lots yeah. of things that we're doing and we continue to do in that sort of space brilliant and oh, do you know that that really resonates with me because i you know one of the first things that, that that springs to mind with me when people talk about diversity um is is diversity of thought you know uh, there's so many complex problems uh, in 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 the workplace in the world in society go back to just simple problem solving you know whether you were at school in a group if you've got you know it's, it's like any sort of form of brainstorming or you know you, you, you're looking at solving a problem if you've got four or five heads thinking of that problem instead of one person that's the chances are you are going to solve the problem but you that's might right. come up with different ways of solving the problem and in business right. society there's lots of ways of doing things, but some of them have cost implications. Others have social implications. And so unless we have that diversity of thought, we're not going to really solve the problems in the best way. And you can't mm. get that diversity of thought in the first place unless you've got diversity in the people that, you, that are around the table. So I totally right. get that. And I, I just think for me personally, you know, anybody that's not really um up to speed with with diversity inclusion and, and equality if it's not their thing and let's let's be brutally honest there are people in society where it's just not on their agenda we can't get yeah. away from that it's wrong but it it happens right that's right yeah so i, th I think my my thought process to that is is to is to get more people that maybe um aren't engaging in this important topic to think from the very first stage of think about diversity of thought it's not about 
it's not it shouldn't be about race or the color of your skin or where you're from or what you believe in it's about how can you contribute to the here and now to your society to your workplace to your family whatever it might be but mm. i think you know you you, you you mentioned a great point about, you know, these things aren't a tick box exercise. And it, it really frustrates me. There are so many things that I see going on in businesses, in, in the media, I dare say some of it in, in government. Um, there's far too many things that people are talking about. Lots of hot topics. Um, we haven't got time to talk about them all, all today or even in this podcast series. There's that many of them. So much box ticking going on. I just wish it would stop. And oh, crikey. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna to have to stop now because I'll really get on my soapbox. But uh, yeah, the, the the whole box ticking thing—it's it, just yeah. it doesn't it but, doesn't but, but um, yeah. it doesn't serve yeah. purpose, does it? That's right. I, I was gonna actually add something to 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 what you were just saying. That um, please, I, I think the way I think about uh, diversity and inclusion is: imagine loads of people walk into a room, and they all walk into the room slightly blindfolded, so. Uh, blindfolded they all walk into a room you then ask them to perform a task and they need to identify the right people to perform that task now until everyone kind of takes off their blindfolds you don't get to see the people and in many ways as a result of history as a result of our upbringing None of us were brought up in the Federal Republic of Woke Utopia, where everyone has got everything right. As a result of all of those things, we all have these things called perceptive filters, mm. which is basically the blindfold that affects the way that I see you. And I see we look at people and we assume based on a set of metrics um, or stereotypes that they are, are a certain way, or we assess whether we like it or not, their ability to do things. Now, how do we get ourselves to be a more effective uh, working functional organization where you are truly utilizing the potential of every individual? Well, it's to take off these blindfolds, take off these yeah. perceptive filters so that you see the real person. It's not, a, it's not a substitute for competence. It's actually the correct route to competence. It's like when people talk about uh, uh, positive discrimination and they say, uh, well, positive discrimination is illegal in the UK anyway, but um, uh, when they talk about, the, the, the impression is often that if you're advocating diversity, surrendering of excellence, uh, but the opposite is true. It's the, it's the idea that uh, positive discrimination is what happens at the moment. When I act on the basis of a prejudice or when I hire after my own kind, and I'm not open to the various ways in which competence is fleshed out, that is positive discrimination, whether we like it or not. And so the process of diversity for me is how do we take off these filters so that yeah. we see talent? Because that's why there is a correlation between more diversity and better performance. Excellently articulated. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have fun going back through the the transcript from this uh, this podcast because there's so much to learn, uh, which is the main reason for doing this in the first place. Uh, so, what what are the main benefits for uh, BME engineers to join the association? 
Um, there's so many benefits. One, it's 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 a sense of belonging, feeling that there are other people like you that have probably had similar experiences as you, in the same space, willing to support you. It's also an opportunity to support other people, um, and then raise your own personal profile. Um, some of my support net systems and support networks have come about as a direct result. Obviously, apart from Ollie, who I've known since birth, uh, <laughs> have come about through being part of AFBE. It's also a place where you can challenge yourself um, because sometimes we're so comfortable in where we are that we don't make as much progress as we should. Um, so with the organisation, even just looking at the exec board, I mean, just reading through the different bios on the website will inspire you to think that you can achieve <laughs> A lot more because there are people that are trailblazers within the organization just doing fantastic work. It's also an opportunity to contribute to fairness in our society. So uh, being part of AFB, and as Oli normally says, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, we have a, a wide range of members of different backgrounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter where you're from, you can be part of AFBE, you can be part of a fairer society, yeah. you can be part of making a difference in an industry that so desperately needs to come to the 20, <laughs> 21st century. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's a really good point as well, you know, other 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 individuals are welcome, you know, because I think from, from maybe from an outsider looking in or people that aren't even aware of the, the association, they may assume that it's just for black and minority ethnic engineers um and it's not necessarily you know and again going back right. to what i said earlier you know the, the more people that can get behind what you're doing the, the better so you, you mentioned transitions uh, can, can you just give a, a brief overview of, of some of the other sort of programs and activities that that you that, that you run okay um, we have, uh, with the word we often use as cradle to, cradle to grave uh, uh, approach to our engineering. So um, everything from uh, programs that reach people as young as nine uh, to people trying to get into the latter end of their careers, uh, senior positions. Uh, and so when for eight to 18 year olds, uh, we have one of the first programs we ever created at AFBE was the Making Engineering Hot program, uh, which I'm sure you'd have heard me say loads of times. We initially thought about calling it Making Engineering Sexy, well, we thought maybe not, um, but yeah, Making Engineering Hot. So, so, yeah. but but in 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 Scotland, uh, we've got a, a similar uh, sort of identical program we call Next Gen. So that's for uh, eight to uh, eighteen year olds. Uh, we hold school visits. Uh, we hold. We provide um, uh, opportunities for internships. Uh, we have uh, also every other Saturday we hold a, a, a an online event, uh, and that covers everything from you know somebody was just talking about three D printing uh, last time we had a, a session, and they talked about how they fix their Hoover. Uh, using an right. item that they had printed with their 3D printer. Um, you know, I did something on the energy transition just uh, uh, before that. And we have, and somebody else, uh, uh, Roma Agrawal, did a talk on structures. So, so right. we have, we have those, those kinds of events for 80, 18 year olds. We also hold a coding club that happens every other week. Uh, so that's for young people. Uh, when they eventually get to university, we've got transition, as we said before. We've got uh, we've also got a program called Real Projects, and that takes it one step further. Transition looks at the recruitment process. Real Projects looks at some examples of actual projects that have taken place in industry. Uh, it helps people understand 
what made this project, this project successful from a technical point of view, but also an interpersonal point of view. Uh, and then we got a mentoring program. And then for those who are trying to get into the much, uh, you know, get into senior roles, uh, our research shows that black representation, for example, on the boards of the top 100 engineering companies is lower than 0.3%. So a very small percentage. So yeah. in order to address that, we have a program called Transcend, uh, and that is uh, recently being uh, rolled out. Uh, and that will look at different aspects to do with leadership and try to awaken the sleeping uh, leader in many of these people. Because very often they'd have had a very successful technical career. Yeah. Uh, this is saying that if you have the desire and the ability to go uh, to uh, a more sort of corporate uh, managerial role, there should be no reason why you can't do it. And so that's that's what we try to address. So yeah, these are the programs that we run. Brilliant. Thanks very much for explaining that. So we're, we're almost sort of coming up to the end of the the podcast today. Um, so I'd, I'd like to ask both of you really for for any any businesses looking to get involved and support the Association of Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers, because I know you've got some sponsors, how could other businesses perhaps, you know, find out how they can address their own imbalance in their own businesses? What what's the best way for for people to to contact you and and to and to get involved or find out more information? www.afd.org.uk um, contact us through that uh, or and we're on all the socials so you can contact us through that as well and and to be honest for us it's about having that initial conversation and finding out what people are looking yeah. for um, and how they want to engage because for us it's about impact so it's not just again it's not just about seeing your member of AFBE it's about understanding what you want to achieve through AFBE Absolutely. That's brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you both today. Ollie and Nikkei, uh, thank you very much for joining me today on Insights for Manufacturing. So that's the end of another episode of Insights for Manufacturing. Hope you've enjoyed the show today. Thank you very much indeed to Dr. Ollie Falayan and Dr. Nikkei Falayan uh, for such a, you know, an impactful and interesting discussion around the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers. Look out for the next episode of Insight for Manufacturing and hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.